This morning I get the privilege uh, to come here and, and just uh, speak the word. So um, we just pray that God's glory would be here today. Amen? Amen. So a few weeks ago um, we had uh, several students, four, 14 students to be exact, and five leaders. Uh, and we went up to youth convention in La Crosse. And it's a weekend-long event. So for those of you who are not fully familiar with it, um, here's a little snapshot. So we get to go up there. Uh, Wisconsin and Northern Michigan District usually does this um, the last week, weekend of October, um, and we get to join with about 1,200 students or more, depending on the year, um, from across the district. And it's an exciting time uh, just to to be together. It's a you know it's a youth convention. So imagine you know for those of you who are into that, it's an awesome time. 1,200 students going crazy all at once. So. That is the sales pitch, and I know everyone wants to be involved. So, uh, but we do get to have a lot of fun as we get to hang out with each other. We get to, uh, you know, there's always the, the craziness that can happen in the hotel rooms, which I'm so thankful for our students that they are not crazy. Um, they're fun, but they're not crazy and destructive. So praise the Lord for that. Um, but we get to participate in a bunch of activities, such as basketball or football or dodgeball, and you know, what doesn't say I'm growing closer to Jesus than a, a rousing game of dodgeball? You know, one minute you're saying, I love Jesus. The next minute is, I'm going to take you out. You know, it, what doesn't say, you know, I love Jesus more than that, right? So before you all get the wrong idea about youth convention, let me tell you, there are powerful services. We have four services um, when we go up to lacrosse. And this year we had four different speakers, one for each service, and they each had a different dynamic to how they, they presented and, and they delivered their message. Um, but in that diversity, I believe that we were able to hear some great, powerful truths um, that we needed to hear as, as uh, youth and youth-oriented people. Um, but I think it doesn't just stop there. I think it's a message that we all need to hear as a church. And one of these truths really grabbed me over the course of the weekend. And since this weekend, it's been really on my mind constantly. Like it's something that I just can't get rid of. I can't get away from. And the crazy thing is, it's not something new. It's not like, wow, there was this epiphany or anything like that. It was something that I've heard on and on for as long as I can remember. I've grown up in the church, so I've heard this kind of message all my life. But it's still, still something that I've not mastered. And it's still something that even though I know this should be my perspective, I still need to work on this. So as we start to dig into this this morning, I want you to turn to Luke 9.23. And again, this is a verse that I've heard hundreds of times um, in some form, whether it's quoted directly or people have talked about it. I've heard it over and over again, but it was a great reminder of the perspective that I and all of us need to have as we follow Christ. So again, Luke 9.23. And what I love and have sensed about this reminder is that it wasn't a slap upside the head saying, you fool, get it together. It was really a loving reminder that God loves me and he's spurring me on to live completely for him. That even though I can feel dry or disoriented or weary at times, he's still pursuing me and he's encouraging not only me, but all of us to draw closer to him. So let's read Luke 9, 23. 
And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let me read that again. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So if you're taking notes this morning, which I know everyone here is doing, but if you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message would be Dead Man Walking. Okay? Or if you're a teen or millennial and you'd like to put it into more pop culture lingo, we can call this message The Walking Dead. Okay? So if you know anything about that, you'll, you'll, yeah. So, so in the verse we just read, Jesus is talking with his disciples. He's been instructing them, and he gets to this point, and he lays out what his expectations are for his followers. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So by laying this out for us, we can know exactly what we've agreed to when we decide to follow Jesus. So let's break this verse down for a little bit. And that's really what I want to focus on this morning. So Jesus begins his remarks with two simple words. If anyone. The word anyone, I think, is significant because it describes whom he's inviting to follow him. He's inviting anyone. Okay? So it's interesting to note that anyone is an all-inclusive word. Does anyone see any exclusions when we say anyone? No, probably not. Anyone includes everyone. And anyone then applies to you, it applies to me, it applies to your kids, it applies to your parents, it applies to crazy Aunt Gertrude, whom you're going to have Thanksgiving with later this week. Okay? Anyone meets, means each and every one of us. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm an anyone. I felt a lot of conviction with that. I'm an anyone. Okay. So I love it that Jesus does not start out this invitation with a bunch of exclusions. Okay. So it means that I can be part of this. He doesn't open this up to anyone, which really is everyone, which means that you don't have to be pre-qualified to follow Jesus. You don't have to go somewhere in advance and find out, yes, you're qualified. You can follow Jesus. You can go right there. And you can follow Jesus. And there may be someone here this morning who thinks, you know what, that can't apply to me. I've gone too far. I've done too much. There's no way that I can follow him after what I've done. And Jesus says, if anyone. And by anyone, I mean you. I know what you have done, and I still invite you to follow me. And as a church, I hope that we can have that same mindset as Christ. That anyone includes everyone. So anyone who comes through these doors has the opportunity to follow Christ. Anyone includes those who struggle with addictions. Anyone includes those who are divorced. Anyone includes those who don't dress the same way that we do. Anyone includes those who are Republicans or Democrats or even from the Green Party. Anyone includes those who like heavy metal or like rap or they like elevator music. Anyone includes those who are ex-cons or current cons or future cons. Anyone includes everyone. 
The list could go on and on. So turn to your neighbor and say, now I know you're in anyone. So hopefully we get the point that Jesus' invitation is for anyone and that anyone is everyone, which that means that's all of us and everyone who is not here this morning. Now, Jesus then goes on and tells us what is required of anyone who accepts the invitation. It's kind of like Mission Impossible. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. Okay, If anyone... So if you follow me, this is what you need to do. And if we will accept the invitation to follow and come after Jesus, then Jesus says he must deny himself. Most of us read that and we think, wow, he doesn't hold anything back. He just laid it all out for us right there. And right away we get the message that we need to deny ourselves. But I I think most of us can agree that this isn't a common idea in our American or Western world culture. No one likes to deny themselves, right? That's not fun. The American dream is to be happy, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what we're all about. Our culture focuses on doing things that make us happy, indulging in pleasures that make us feel good. And I think in some respect, this message has now even permeated our churches where we want everyone to feel good. We want everyone to be comfortable. We don't want to do anything that rocks the boat. In Kyle Eidelman's book, Not a Fan, he sums it up this way. He says, one of the reasons it's so hard for us to deny ourselves is because the whole idea seems to go against our greatest desire in life. Most everyone would say what they want more than anything else is to be happy. We're convinced that the path to happiness means saying yes to ourselves. Indulgence is the oath to happiness. So to deny ourselves seems to go in the opposite direction of what will make us happy. The right to pursue happiness seems to be in direct conflict with the call to deny. In other words, denying myself is not fun. It's not something that I cherish. It's not something that I, wow, You know, I lay awake at night just saying, oh, how can I deny myself? Most of us aren't going to be doing that because it goes against every fiber of our being, right? We don't want to deny ourselves. We want to satisfy ourselves. But to really follow after Jesus, he says that I must deny myself. So what does that mean? How do I deny myself? In one sense, it's it's simply saying no to myself. Right? On a physical level, I think we can kind of get this. You know, I might deny myself that third helping of stuffing this week at Thanksgiving because I really don't want to split another pair of pants. Right? Or, you know what, I should really only have a piece of apple, pumpkin, and cherry pie rather than two of each. You know, I'll, I'll sample each one rather than having tons and tons. So we can deny ourselves when we, re- when we resist our urge for something. We can deny ourselves because, you know, I would like that, but maybe I shouldn't. But I believe that it goes beyond just saying no to myself or resisting myself. I think the idea here is that you do not even acknowledge or recognize your own existence. 
I hope you caught that this morning. The idea of denying yourself, in a sense, is like we don't even acknowledge that we exist. That in one level, yes, I'm here, I'm alive. But on another level, what I want, what I desire, it doesn't exist. I want to follow after what God has for me. It's as though I am dead. My desires, my wants, my pursuits, my passions, they're all dead. They're all dead because I'm going to kill them and allow God to do what he wants to do. I am living dead. I'm a dead man walking. The words of John 3.30 kind of continually echo in our minds that says, He must become greater. I must become less. We continue to push down the things that we want, the things that we desire, and instead say, God, what is it that you want? Where are you wanting to take me? Take me, take us, take my family. I choose to put aside my pursuits. Because Jesus has called me to go in a different direction. I think we can take the example of the rich young ruler from Matthew 19. He wanted to know what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And they talk about the commandments. You know, you shall not kill. You should honor God. All of those things. And Jesus then says and answers the man with a direct statement. It's pointed right at him. And he says, sell all that you have. Give the money to the poor. And then come follow me. So this young man was a man of wealth. He had prominence within the community. And Jesus knew that that was a thing that was very near and dear to him. So Jesus put the young ruler at a crossroads. What's it going to be? What are you going to do, rich young ruler? Are you going to follow me? Or are you going to follow your stuff? Because it can't be both. It can't be where you try to do both because your, 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 uh, your desires are going to be divided. So following Jesus would cost the young ruler his stuff. And as we read the, young, or we read the story, we see that the young ruler chose his stuff. And he walked away with a heavy heart away from Jesus. And although that's something that was pointed directly at the rich young ruler, I think each of us, have things that God may be speaking to us and saying, it's me or it's this. What is it going to be? For us, we have to know that following Jesus may cost you something. It may be very near and dear to your heart. It may be something that, yeah, that was an easy thing to give up. But at some point, it may cost you something, and it might be something that hurts. You may have to choose Jesus over your own comfort. In essence, you may be saying, I choose Jesus over money. I choose Jesus over career goals. I choose Jesus over getting drunk. I choose Jesus over looking at porn. I choose Jesus over remodeling my bathroom. I choose Jesus over a new car. I choose Jesus over what my friends may think of me. I think there's going to be something that's going to be personal to each one of us. And Jesus is going to be calling us to deny ourselves in some area. And we get the choice. But we may find that it costs us. But here's an interesting thing. I think if you can think about some of your relationships, you'll see that this is true. 
But when we sacrificially deny ourselves for Christ's sake, it really is the clearest evidence of our love for him, of our committed love to him. When we deny ourselves for another person, it communicates true love. Let me tell you a little example, because I read the story a man told of a time when he knew his wife really loved him. And it's very simplistic, but I think it gets the point across. So he was coming into the kitchen for dinner. And as he was walking down the hall into the kitchen, he could see the table where the food was. His wife didn't know that he was watching, but as she was pouring Pepsi into two glasses, he was watching the whole scenario. There was one glass for him and one for her. Now, there was one little bit left in a two-liter bottle that had been open for over a week. So everyone's like, ugh, I hate that. But she also had a brand new bottle of Pepsi to open. She filled one glass with the no-fizz, flat, old Pepsi that you just kind of stick your tongue out, right? And she filled the second glass with the one newly fresh Pepsi. And after she she had finished pouring, he went in and just sat down at the table, and he wondered himself, I wonder at whose place she's going to put that flat, stale Pepsi. Mine or hers. And when his wife walked over to the table with the two drinks and put the flat Pepsi at her plate, he said that he had never felt so loved. That is true love right there. I will drink the flat Pepsi for you, my love. But by denying herself, the woman communicated her love for her husband, right? He knew it. And even though she didn't see it, she didn't know that he was watching, he knew That his wife loved him because she gave him the better tasting Pepsi. And similarly, we show our true heart for Christ when we deny ourselves. We show our love for him when we put aside our desires, our rights, our passions, and we just surrender ourselves to him. Now, going back to Luke 9, 23, we see that Jesus doesn't stop there, but he continues to instruct his disciples. He's told them that his followers will need to deny themselves. But he doesn't just stop there. He continues by saying, don't you love that? He continues by saying that a follower must take up his cross daily. Now, for our 21st century minds, I think that we can see this as synonymous with the idea of denying ourselves. We can see it that we have to give up something. It's, It's like the phrase, everyone has their own cross to bear. You know, that's just what I have to deal with. It's kind of a euphemism. It's kind of a cliche that we just throw out. Yeah, take up your cross daily. But I think it's very interesting that the Jews in the first century would have had a hugely different perspective on this. For them, it was a gruesome means of execution, right? That the Romans used this consistently as a means to force the Jews into submission. For them, the cross was a symbol of humiliation. It was a symbol of suffering. And it was a symbol of death. It was a symbol of humiliation because the Romans would crucify someone when they wanted to publicly humiliate that person. They wanted to make a public statement that this person was nothing. That this person, even though he may have just tried to rebel against the empire and he may have tried to overthrow the government, he was nothing. We took care of him. He's dead. He's of no value. He has nothing to offer. 
And during Jesus' crucifixion, we read this similar type of thing. We read that the soldiers mocked him. They taunted him and, you know, why don't you save yourself, O king of the Jews? You know, you think that you're all this, but that's not true. The soldiers would spit on him. They would punch him. And many of the people, even when he's on the cross, would pass by and they would mock him and taunt him. The chief priests and the scribes come along and they say, why don't you get yourself off of that cross? You say you're the son of God, you should be able to do it. There was an act of humiliation as part of the cross. And beyond being humiliating, it was a symbol of suffering. As part of the crucifixion routine, it was common for the Romans to scourge the individual. They would strip him of his clothing. They would tie his hands up at the top of a post so that his flesh would be completely stretched out and that it would cause much pain as they would lash him repeatedly over and over until such time that he was just about at the point of death. Then they would stop because there was more suffering that would need to take place. Now, after being beaten like this, it's quite possible that there was a lot of open flesh wounds. It's possible that his vertebrae were showing in the back. And so then they take and they put the cross beam, the horizontal beam on his back. So can you just imagine this heavy beam coming down on open wounds? The suffering was great. And after the suffering, we see that the cross was a symbol of death. Once he was at Golgotha, the end was near. The soldiers take the horizontal beam and attach it to the vertical beam to make the cross. And then they nail his hands to the cross, outstretched as far as they could. Next, they nail his feet. And after several hours of hanging there, they thrust a spear into his side, confirming his death. So with all of this backdrop in mind, Jesus calls his disciples to take up their cross daily. And just like the first century Jews saw the cross as a symbol of humiliation and suffering and death, we also should have that mindset as we take up our cross daily. Not only is it going to cost us something, but it may hurt a little too. With respect to humiliation, we need to be able to humble ourselves. and We need to be willing to humble ourselves. Philippians 2, 5-8 through 8 says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Taking up our cross daily may mean that we will need to humble ourselves. We will need to get out of this idea that we're high, that we're of importance, and we need to bring ourselves low. And it might just be that we need to make ourselves low in order to meet someone where they're at. God's calling us to meet with that person, to provide his love, but we might have to humble ourselves to do that. There's a quote that says, if we are going to follow him, it means humbly taking up a cross and making ourselves nothing. In a faith-filled way, we make ourselves nothing for the sake of someone else. 
We say, God, I will be whatever you need me to be. I will serve in whatever way that you need me to serve. And with respect to the idea of suffering, we need to recognize that we may suffer for the cause of Christ. At youth convention, we had a speaker named Missionary Joe Gordon. And he spoke in our Saturday morning session. And here's a little snippet of what he said. He said, following God is not a safe place. He has called us to leave our safety and our comfort zones and to truly follow him. To say and live out that he is the most important thing in our lives. It's going to cost us something and it may hurt. The Bible gives us several clues that following Jesus will cost us something. That we may have to endure some suffering of some kind. You know, we hear that, you know, we don't need to go through suffering or there's this idea that, you know, God, if we follow God, he's going to take care of us and we're never going to have to go through anything. I think most of us in this room can say that's not true. But sometimes we need that reminder that, you know what, God has a plan and sometimes we need to go through things so that we can minister to others, right? So Philippians 1.29, as an example, says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Or Luke 6.22, which says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And speaking about persecution, Jesus says this in John 15.21, They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. So related to this element of suffering, Joe gave us this perspective to consider at youth convention. And I think it's something that we need to all consider. That the early church continued to preach the gospel in the face of beatings, death, and constant threats. Now in today's world, that's not an exciting thing. Suffering, pain, and sacrifice are not acceptable to the modern mind. You know what? We do whatever we can to avoid those things, right? That's our, our natural inclination, is that we're going to try to avoid those at all costs. So here's the question that he posed to us. What if the early church had the same mentality that we have today? To avoid suffering, pain, and sacrifice. If that happened, where would we be? Would there even be a church today? But then he told us this, and I think this is kind of the cool thing, hopefully inspirational, encouraging. But he said, instead of backing down, they continued to press ahead. They realized that there were going to be sufferings that would happen. And in Acts 4, it even talks about that they praised God that they were able to suffer for his name. That's not an easy thing to do, right? Thank you, Jesus, for letting me be beat. That's not something we normally do, right? But he said this. So after Jesus' death, there were 11 apostles. Out of those 11 apostles, 10 died a martyr's death. Ten of them were killed, and one was meant to be killed, but God saved him. Out of those ten who died a martyr's death, only James died in his hometown. Only James the Apostle was killed in Jerusalem. The other nine died spreading the gospel across the world, across Europe, across North Africa, all the way to India. 
And I think that's something that we can take into perspective. That with respect to the cross, there may be suffering. As God is calling us to do certain things in following after him. Then with respect to the cross being a symbol of death, we choose to die daily. We die to our desires, our pursuits, our plans, and our dreams. And we surrender them to Jesus. To his desires and plans for our lives. We say, yes, Lord. What is it that you want? Jesus invites us to take up our cross daily. Where each and every one of us, each and every day, make a decision to die to ourselves and live for Christ. And each one of us has a different way that Jesus is calling out to us. What he's speaking to you is going to be different than what he says to you and to you and to you and to you. Jesus may be calling you to do different things in your world, in your sphere of influence, and he's going to be calling you to do whatever it might be. He's inviting us to deny ourselves and take up our individual crosses daily. Jesus speaks to us individually, again, because he, plan, because he has different plans for each one of us. So what will it look like to die each day for you? Here's a couple possibilities. Maybe it means that dying to yourself daily may mean that you clean up your language so that you're no longer known for your blue streaks. Maybe it means that you have to stifle your desire for new shoes or the latest gadget and instead give your money toward the spread of the gospel. Maybe it means that instead of going away to your cabin every weekend, you invest time in ministering to your neighbor and sharing the gospel. Maybe you commit to helping out in the kids' classes on Sunday or Wednesday or helping out in some other area of the church. Maybe it means that you help out with outreaches as we just try to get into the community and, and, and share the gospel. Maybe it means that you bring food to your neighbor or former coworker who just lost their job. I can't say what specifically God is going to be speaking to you, but I do know that he has a plan for your life. He has a plan for each and every one of us in this place today, and he's just calling us to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. And he speaks those things to us if we will listen for his voice. And as we've been talking about denying ourselves and dying daily, we may ask, how do I know what Jesus is calling me to? Are there areas that I need to be denying myself to? Should I be taking up my cross and dying to something? I don't know what it is. How do I know? Let me share some thoughts that Dick Brogdon gave at Youth Convention, because I think they were incredible for us to remember and to kind of refocus our minds. Now, Dick is a missionary who is ser currently serving in the Arab world. Okay? He's one of the founders uh, of the missionary initiative called Live Dead. And as he shared with us, he spoke with us of his experiences when he first arrived in the country of Mauritania. And he, he talked about how he came into the country, and for the first two weeks, he was just inserted into the worst slums imaginable. He had just essentially a little cardboard shack for two weeks. No money, no food, nothing. And he just had to figure out what was he going to do. No support. And he said that what he did for those two weeks 
was just abide with Jesus. And he said that as he did that, he saw and he sensed the presence of God with him, empowering him for what he was calling him to do. And so he encouraged us to abide in Jesus. He noted the words of Jesus in John 15, 5, where it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, we must return to the simplicity where we just have Jesus. As we abide in him, our hearts begin to be filled with Jesus. Our souls burst because of the experience and the relationship that we have with him. We focus our eyes on Jesus, and they become so centered on him that the things of earth begin to fade away or grow strangely dim. As we abide in Jesus, that's when he can speak to us. That's when we will just center ourselves on him and focus on him and exclude all the other noise in our life and just abide in him. That's when he speaks to us. And that's when he's going to tell you, here's an area that I'd like you to work on. I'd like you to deny yourself in this area. Or I'm calling you to take up your cross here because this person needs to know Jesus. And he directs us so that we know where we need to do these things, where we need to begin to deny ourselves, where we need to humble ourselves and become nothing in a certain area, where we need to step out of our comfort zone for his kingdom, even though it may mean suffering, where we need to yield our desires and surrender to his plan. So this morning, I know this has not been a you rah rah sermon, like, oh, everyone's going to leave here feeling good. But here's what I want us to do, because I think it's something that we don't often do enough. I can be the first person to raise my hand and say that I don't do this enough, and I'm trying to work on this. But I want us to simply spend some time abiding. We're going to take some time and just spend in his presence. I'll tell you in advance, this may be awkward. Okay? But it's going to be good. Because we need to center ourselves, really quiet ourselves, and just listen. Just talk with our Savior. Let's listen for his voice. Let's hear what he wants to speak to us. Maybe we need to talk with him and find out, God, where do I need to deny myself? Or where's an area that I need to die daily? Maybe there's an area in my life that needs to be cleaned up. And if we already know, And maybe we just haven't paid much attention to it. Maybe we can just say, God, I need your help. I need your strength to do this. So for the next few minutes, we're just going to spend time quietly with God. There's going to be no music. There's going to be nothing like that. I just want you to abide in his presence for the next few minutes. And whether you want to stay in your seat or whether you want to come to the altars, I encourage you just to simply abide in his presence. Talk to him, listen to him, hear what he has to say. In a few minutes, I'll come back and we can formally dismiss. But please, no one moving around, no talking. Let's just simply abide.